0: Hi and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be for Ether chapter 3. So the the Jaredites have uh, built barges and uh, they are tight like a dish and they're heading off soon. All right, verse 1. Oh, uh, they lack light in their their barge. Remember that uh, the Lord said, what do you want me to do about it? And Jared uh, probably got the idea from Noah's Ark on uh, having some stones that shine in the dark. All right, let's go on chapter 3, verse 1. And It came to pass that the brother of Jared, now the number of the vessels which had been prepared was eight, went forth unto the mount which they called the Mount Shalem. So if they called it that, I wonder if one of their party was also named Shalem. I don't know. He said, Shalem means high, safe, secure. The word Shalom is derived from that. Remember, Shalom means you're safe. Shalom is a ladder, a high place. If you're going to a high place, it is a safe place, a secure place, a Shalem. We went to the highest mountain around. Moses did the same thing. Lehi and Nephi did the same thing. So again, this is a pattern. Uh, Shalom also means peace, doesn't it? Because of its exceeding height, and did molten out of a rock 16 small stones. Now, again, I'm saying this redundantly. How did he know to make stones for, for the Lord to touch, to make shine? Because he knew that Noah had stones that the Lord touched to shine in the ark. Andrew Skinner says, The King James Version of the Old Testament reports that Noah's ark was to have a window for a light. A window shalt thou make to the ark, it says. However, some modern Jewish translators of the Hebrew text render this passage. A light shalt thou make to the ark, not a window. The word in question Sohar, Sohar in, in the dual form, means noon or midday. Ancient Jewish legend relates that it was not just a light in the ark, but was actually a precious stone which illuminated the whole interior of the ark. Continuing verse 1, And they were white and clear, even as transparent glass. And he did carry them in his hands upon the top of the mount, and cried again unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, Thou hast said that we must be encompassed about by the floods. Now behold, O Lord, and do not be angry with thy servant because of his weakness before thee. For we know that thou art holy and dwellest in the heavens, and that we are unholy before thee. Because of the fall, our natures have become evil continually. Nevertheless, O Lord, thou hast given us a commandment that we must call upon thee, that from thee we may receive according to our desires. Behold, O Lord, thou hast smitten us because of our iniquity and hast driven us forth, and for these many years we have been in the wilderness, parenthetically, but we're at this really nice beach right now, which we like. We'd rather not move on. But anyway, nevertheless, thou hast been merciful unto us, O Lord. Look upon me in pity and turn away thine anger from this thy people and suffer not that they shall go forth across this raging deep in darkness. But behold, these things which I have molten out of the rock And I know, O Lord, that thou hast all power and can do whatsoever thou wilt for the benefit of man. Therefore, touch these stones, O Lord, with thy finger and prepare them that they may shine forth in darkness. And they shall shine forth unto us in the vessels which we have prepared, that we may have light while we shall cross the sea. There are fascinating rabbinic legends to the effect that Noah enjoyed light in the ark because he carried with him divinely given shining stones. If such stories are true, then the brother of Jared was acting in harmony with the deeds of a prophet who was less than a century and a half removed from him. Verse 5, Behold, O Lord, thou canst do this. We know that thou art able to show forth great power, which look small unto the understanding of men. And it came to pass that when the brother of Jared had said these words, behold, the Lord stretched forth his hand and touched the stones one by one with his finger. Now notice that as Jared is doing this, he has total confidence and faith that the Lord can do it. It's just, will he? Uh, And so he has total faith in the Lord's ability to do this. And the veil was taken from off the eyes of the brother of Jared, and he saw the finger of the Lord. And it was as the finger of a man, like unto flesh and blood. And the brother of Jared fell down before the Lord, for he was struck with fear. And the Lord saw that the brother of Jared had fallen to the earth, and the Lord said unto him, Arise, why hast thou fallen? And he saith unto the Lord, I saw the finger of the Lord, and I feared lest he should smite me, for I knew not that the Lord had flesh and blood. And the Lord said unto him, Because of thy faith, thou hast seen that I shall take upon me flesh and blood, and never has man come before me with such exceeding faith as thou hast. For were it not so, ye could not have seen my finger. Sawest thou more than this? And he answered, Nay, Lord, show thyself unto me. And the Lord said unto him, Believest thou the words which I shall speak? Now, Elder Packer said, there was a test of faith involved as the Lord asked, believest thou the words which I shall speak? Interesting, isn't it, that he was not asked, believest thou the words that I have spoken? It didn't relate to the past, it related to the future. The brother of Jared was asked to commit himself on something that had not yet happened. He was to confirm his belief in that which the Lord had not yet spoken. Faith to be faith must center around something that is not known. Faith to be faith must be must go beyond that which there is confirming evidence. Faith to be faith must go into the unknown. Faith to be faith must walk to the edge of the light and then a few steps into the dark. If everything has to be known, if everything has to be explained, if everything has to be certified, then there is no need for faith. Indeed, there is no room for it. Verse 12, And he answered, Yea, Lord, I know that thou speakest the truth, for thou art a God of truth and canst not lie. It is not just that God will not lie. He cannot. That was uh, Millet McConkie, verse 13. And when he had said these words, behold, the Lord showed himself unto him and said, because thou knowest these things, ye are redeemed from the fall. Therefore, ye are brought back into my presence. Therefore, I show myself unto you. Behold, I am he who was prepared from the foundation of the world to redeem my people. Behold, I am Jesus Christ, I am the Father and the Son, in me shall all all mankind have life, and that eternally, even they who shall believe on my name, and they shall become my sons and my daughters. And never have I showed myself unto man whom I have created. Jesus is showing him his body in the future, that he will take upon himself. With God all time is present. Jesus's body could have been his resurrected body, which he was showing Mahanri. Since he mentions that he saw the finger, which had flesh and blood, maybe this vision occurred to Jesus while he was on the Mount of Transfiguration in his transfigured state while Jared was in in his time on the mountain. That's just speculation. I'm wondering, however, if... uh, If the brother of Jared is seeing Jesus in his premortal state with a spirit only, in his mortal state with a body of flesh and blood, and then in a resurrected state with a body of flesh and bones, I'm wondering if Jared sees all of that, or the brother of Jared sees him in in all those situations, not just in one time period, but in all three. Elder Holland said the potential for confusion here comes with the realization that many and perhaps all of the major prophets living prior to the brother of Jared had seen God. How then do we account for the Lord's declaration before the time of the brother of Jared? The Lord did appear to Adam and the residue of his posterity who were righteous in the valley of Adam on diamond three years before Adam's death. And we are left with Enoch, who said explicitly, I saw the Lord, and he stood before my face, and he talked with me, even as a man talketh one with another face to face. We assume that other prophets between the fall and the Tower of Babel saw God in a similar manner, including Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord and walked with God. The same scriptural phrase used to describe Enoch's relationship with the Lord. This issue has been much discussed by Latter-day Saint writers and there are several possible explanations, any one or all of which may cast light upon the larger truth of this passage. Nevertheless, without additional revelation or commentary on the matter, any conjecture is only that and as such is inadequate and incomplete. One possibility is that the reference to man is the key to this passage, suggesting that the Lord had never revealed himself to the unsanctified, to the the non-believer, to temporal, earthly, Natural man. The implication is that only those who have put off the natural man, only those who are unattain, untainted by the world, in short, the sanctified, such as Adam, Enoch, and now the brother of Jared, are entitled to this privilege. Some believe that the Lord meant he had never before revealed himself to man in that degree or, on, or to that extent. This theory suggests that divine appearances to earlier prophets had not been with the same fullness, that never before had the veil been lifted to give such a complete revelation of Christ's nature and being. A final explanation, and in terms of the brother of Jared's faith, the most persuasive one is that Christ was saying to the brother of Jared, Never have I showed myself unto man in this manner without my volition, driven solely by the faith of the beholder. As a rule, prophets are invited into the presence of the Lord, are bidden to enter his presence by him, and only with his sanction. The brother of Jared, on the other hand, seems to have thrust himself through the veil, not as an unwelcome guest, but perhaps technically as an uninvited one. Said Jehovah, Never has man come before me with such exceeding faith as thou hast, For were it not so, ye could not have seen my finger. Never has man believed in me as thou hast. Obviously, the Lord himself was linking unprecedented faith with this unprecedented vision. If the vision itself was not unique, then it had to be the faith and how the vision was obtained that was so unparalleled. The only way that faith could be so remarkable was its inability to take the prophet uninvited, where others had been able to go only with God's bidding. That perhaps to be Moroni's understanding of the circumstance, where, when he later wrote, because of the knowledge which came as a result of faith of this man, he could not be kept from beholding within the veil. Wherefore, having this perfect knowledge of God, he could not be kept from within the veil. Therefore, he saw Jesus. Um, I, I like my theory a little bit here that uh, perhaps he saw Jesus in all three conditions, his premortal body, his mortal body, and his post-mortal body. Uh, Just again, that's just speculation on my part, and that would also coincide with that never has man beheld him as such. Uh, So that's a possibility, uh, something that I came up with. You're welcome. This is a difficult statement. Uh, This is another quote. It is hard to fathom. It is particularly difficult to reconcile with what we know regarding God's dealings with the ancient prophets. We know that all revelation since the fall of Adam has been by and through Jehovah, who is Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the fathers, Whenever Elohim, our Heavenly Father, did manifest himself, it was to introduce and bear record of the Son. Thus it is that the Lord Jehovah, often speaking in the name of and on behalf of the Eternal Father, appeared to and conversed with Adam, Seth, Enoch, Noah, and surely others, of whom we have no specific record. Why then would Jehovah say, Never have I showed myself unto man? We are unaware of a final and conclusive answer anywhere in our literature, but we offer the following possibilities, principles which are not necessarily mutually exclusive, and, for all we know, may all serve as correct answers to the question at hand. First, perhaps, the Lord was speaking of the total and complete manner in which he revealed himself to the brother of Jared. Joseph Fielding Smith explained, I have always considered Ether 3.15 to mean that the Savior stood before the brother of Jared plainly, distinctly, and showed him his whole body and explained to him that he was a spirit. In his appearance to Adam and Enoch, he not he had not made himself manifest in such a familiar way. His appearance to earlier prophets had not been with that same fullness, for the brother of Jared he removed the veil completely. Sidney Sperry suggested that the Lord's statement may have to do and may have more to do with the principle that he does not reveal himself to men, meaning sons of men, unbelieving men. He only reveals himself to believers, to those who trust in and rely on him, who, like Maury Ankemer, become redeemed from the fall. Third, Daniel Ludlow has written another possible interpretation is that Jesus Christ is essentially saying that he has never had to show himself unto man before. This interpretation gains additional weight when considered in connection with the following verses, and that's verses 9, uh, 19 to 20 and 26. In these verses, the Lord makes it very clear that the brother of Jared came before him with greater faith than any other man, that the brother of Jared could not be kept from within the veil and that the Lord could not withhold anything from him. For he knew that the Lord could show him all things. Fourth, President Harold B. Lee suggested that the uniqueness of Maury Ankemer's experience lay in the fact that he saw the Lord Jesus as he would be. That is, he saw a vision of Christ as his body would be during his mortal ministry in some 2,000 years. He saw the finger of the Lord presently observed as he touched each of those 16 stones and they were luminous. And then he was amazed because he said he saw not only the finger of a spiritual being, but his faith was so great that he saw the kind of a body that he would have when he came down to the earth. It was a flesh and blood, flesh, bone and blood. So my uh, my idea isn't so unique, is it? It sounds like B. Lee had the same idea that I did. So I'm not the first one to come up with it. And the Master said, no man has had this kind of faith. Support for this interpretation may come from the Savior. Because of thy faith thou hast seen that I shall take upon me flesh and blood. Also consider the following words of Moroni. Jesus showed himself unto the, this man in the spirit, even after the manner and in the likeness of the same body, even as he showed himself unto the Nephites. And he ministered unto him, even as he ministered unto the Nephites. Fifth, so that means that he would also have shown him his resurrected body. Fifth, we might ponder upon another possibility. It may be that this is the first occasion in history. It seems to be the first, according to our present scriptural records, when Jehovah manifested himself as Jesus Christ, the Son. Before this time, he had made himself known by speaking to such persons as Adam, Enoch, and Noah in the language and person of the Father by divine investiture of authority. In other words, this may be the first occasion wherein Jehovah introduced himself as Jesus, the Son of God, rather than speaking about himself in the third person, as he had done many times before. Finally, perhaps the matter is simpler than we had supposed. Could it be that the pronouncement... Is a relative statement that it pertains only to the Jaredites that is it may be that Jehovah was explaining in essence never before have I showed myself to anyone in your dispensation the Jaredite dispensation that was by Millet McConkie continuing verse 15 for never has man believed in me as thou hast seest thou that that ye are created after mine own image. Yea, even after, even all men were created in the beginning after mine own image. Here Jehovah speaks in broad terms and by divine investiture of authority. Jehovah was under the direction and by appointment of the Father the executive in the creation. He created all things on earth except man. When it came to placing man on earth, there was a change in creators. That is, the Father Himself became personally involved. All things were created by the Son, using the power delegated by the Father, except man. In the Spirit and again in the flesh, man was created by the Father. There was no delegation of authority where the crowning creation or the crowning creature of creation was concerned. And that was by Bruce R. McConkey. verse 16. Behold, this body which ye now behold is the body of my Spirit. And man have I created after the body of my spirit and even as I appear unto thee to be in the spirit will I appear unto my people in the flesh. So remember that he saw the finger touch the stones and looked like flesh and blood. Now he's saying that this is this uh, looks like the body of his spirit. 17. And now as I I said, I could not make a full account of these things which are written. Therefore, it sufficeth me to say that Jesus showed himself unto this man in the spirit, even after the manner and in the likeness of the same body, even as he showed himself unto the Nephites. So now he's saying that he showed himself his resurrected body, the same as he showed to the Nephites. So I think he showed him all three. That's my opinion anyway. Sounds like that's what others think too. And he ministered unto him, even as he ministered unto the Nephites, and all this, that this man might know that he was God, because of the many great works which the Lord had showed unto him. And because of the knowledge of this man, he could not be kept from beholding within the veil, and he saw the finger of Jesus, which, when he saw He fell with fear, for he knew that it was the finger of the Lord, and he had faith no longer, for he knew, nothing doubting. From an eternal perspective, knowledge and faith are not antithetical, nor are they on on opposite ends of a continuum. God possesses all knowledge, and God possesses all faith. Indeed, it is by virtue of his faith, existing in in him in perfection, as a principle of power, that the worlds were made. That was by um, Joseph Smith in the lectures on faith. Elder McConkie has written, In the eternal sense, because faith is the power of God himself, it embraces within its fold a knowledge of all things. This measure of faith, the faith by which the worlds are and were created and which sustains and upholds all things, is found only among resurrected persons. It is the faith of saved beings, but mortals are in process through faith of gaining eternal salvation. Their faith is based on a knowledge of the truth within the meaning of Alma's statement that faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things, but that men have faith when they hope for things which are not seen, which are true. In this sense, faith is both preceded and supplanted by knowledge. And when any person gains a perfect knowledge of on any given matter, then, as pertaining to that thing, he has faith no longer, or rather, his faith is dormant. It has been supplanted by pure knowledge. The brother of Jared stands out as a good illustration of how the knowledge of God is gained by faith, and also of how that perfect knowledge from a mortal perspective replaces faith. Verse 20, Wherefore, having this perfect knowledge of God, he could not be kept from within the veil. Therefore he saw Jesus, and he did minister unto him. The brother of Jared enjoyed the blessing of the second comforter, the personal presence and ministration of the Lord Lord God himself. 21, And it came to pass that the Lord said unto the brother of Jared, Behold, thou shalt not suffer these things which ye have seen and heard, to go forth unto the world. In other words, this is going to be in the sealed portion of the plates until the time cometh that I shall glorify my name in the flesh. The vision can't be revealed until after Christ's resurrection. Uh, And so remember that Mosiah has the translation, but he, he puts it away and won't let anybody read it until afterwards. Wherefore, ye shall treasure up the things which ye have seen and heard, and show it to no man. And behold, when ye shall come, when ye shall come unto me, ye shall write them and shall seal them up, that no one can interpret them, for ye shall write them in a language that they cannot understand or that they cannot read. And behold, these two stones, meaning the urim and thummim, these are the same same stones that were given to Joseph to translate the plates. Will I give unto thee? And ye shall seal them up also with the things which ye shall write. For behold, the language which ye shall write, I have confounded. Wherefore, I will cause in my own due time that these stones shall magnify to the eyes of men these things which ye shall write. Elmer mm-hmm. Conkey said, Joseph Smith received the same Urim and Thummim had by the brother of Jared, for it was the one expressly provided for the translation of the Jaredite and Nephite records. It was separate and distinct from the one had by Abraham and the one had by the priests in Israel. The prophet also had a seer stone which was separate and distinct from the Urim and Thummim and which, speaking loosely, had been called by some a Urim and Thummim. Joseph Fielding Smith said, with reference to the seer stone and the Urim and Thummim, uh, we have been taught since the days of the prophet that the Urim and Thummim were returned to the plates, uh, uh, were returned with the plates to the angel. We have no record of the prophet having the Urim and Thummim after the organization of the church. We know that the seer stone, however, is in the church museum. Verse 25, And when the Lord said, had said these words, he showed unto the brother of Jared all the inhabitants of the earth, which had been, and also all that would be, and he withheld them not from his sight, even unto the ends of the earth. The brother of Jared was granted a panoramic vision, that vision which the scriptures tell us has been given to prophet leaders of dispensations, a vision of things from the beginning to the end. This he was instructed to seal up. It constitutes or is included in what we know as the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon. This sealed book is described in Nephi's record as as containing a revelation from God from the beginning of the world to the ending thereof. When it comes forth, it will reveal all things from the foundation of the world unto the end thereof. When during the millennium, the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon is translated, it will, it will give an account of life and pre-existence, of the creation of all things, of the fall and the atonement and the second coming, of temple ordinances in their fullness, of the ministry and mission of translated beings, of life in the spirit world, in both paradise and hell, of the kingdoms of glory to be inhabited by resurrected beings, and many such things. And that was by Bruce R. McConkie, 26. For he had said unto him in times before that if he would believe in him, that he, would, he could show unto him all things, it should be shown unto him. Therefore the Lord could not withhold anything from him, for he knew that the Lord could show him all things. And the Lord said unto him, Write these things, and seal them up, and I will show them in mine own due time unto the children of men. Joseph Feeling Smith said, Now the Lord has placed us on probation as members of the church. He has given us the Book of Mormon, which is the lesser part, or to build up our faith through our obedience to the counsels which, he contain, which it contains. And when we ourselves, members of the church, we are, are, are willing to keep the commandments as they have been given to us and show our faith as the Nephites did for a short period of time, then the Lord is ready to bring forth the other record and give it to us, but we are not ready now to receive it. Why? Because we have not lived up to the, to the requirements in this probationary state in the reading of the record which had been given to us and in the following of its counsels. So if we uh, just obey for a while and, and do a better job at reading and understanding the Book of Mormon and living by its precepts, then maybe we can get the sealed portion too. Elder McConkie kind of—I think he didn't think it would happen until after the uh, second coming occurred, anyway. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Verse 28: It came to pass that the Lord commanded him that he should go, that he should seal up the two stones which he had received and show them not until the Lord should show them unto the children of men. And so that's the end of chapter three. So the brother of Jared has seen the finger of God and the stones have been touched and they've given light and that's what they're going to use in the barges. Uh, I bear testimony that this is translated material and I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.